Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Slate's Working Podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you're working on a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. With one simple integration, you can offer your customers every way to pay, period. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions, fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash working. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Arun Vanagopal, a reporter with WNYC Radio in New York and host of its Micropolis series, which takes on issues of race, sexuality, and identity. On today's episode, we talk with someone who's in the business of violence, you might say, and spends a lot of her time thinking about how people can get hurt or much worse. What's your name and what do you do? Elena Waldman. I'm a self-defense teacher and karate teacher in Queens. And here we are in uh, Jackson Heights, Roosevelt Avenue, within, like, what would you say, 10 feet of the uh, the legendary 7 train. Yeah, you'll hear it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So this is the dojo. This is the dojo. Uh, small and beloved, humble, and, uh, you know, Sensei calls it a forge. All your impurities get burned out here. So how did you get into this line of work? How did you become a self-defense instructor? So I became a self-defense instructor a long time ago, back in the 80s. I was working uh, for Housing Authority as a youth worker in the projects, and um, one of my co-workers wanted to teach a women's self-defense class. He was a, a taekwondo instructor, and he wanted to teach a women's self-defense class and felt that he didn't have any validity being a man. So he came to me and he said, if I train you, will you co-teach with me? And I said yes, and that was the beginning of it. And then um, a few weeks later, the karate instructor, we had taekwondo and karate, they're different. Um, the karate instructor came by and he said to me, listen, don't, don't, don't read anything into this. But I think that perhaps, maybe, the possibility exists that you have a small bit of natural ability. And do you want to find out? And I said yes. And then I started training in karate. And he was my sensei for a long time. And I've been in a bunch of different dojos. And um, that is what brought me here. You know, to MKD, I got here, I don't know, I think maybe six 
six-ish, seven years ago. Um, walked in, sat down, spoke with my sensei, Orlando Sanchez, for a while and uh, started training here and realized it was my home, realized that it was the place that I, I'd always looked for in a dojo. Where all does your work take place? Is it just in this dojo or do you teach in different places? Oh, I, I always say for self-defense, I will go anywhere, teach anyone, anytime. I've taught informal settings, you know, community centers, senior centers, churches, etc. I've also taught in people's kitchens. I've taught out on the stroll with sex workers. I've taught in sex clubs. I've taught... Oh, goodness. On the street. I mean, I'll go anywhere. And this is all across New York City? New York City. I've taught a lot in Philly. Um, New York and Philly are the two places I teach most. But I'll go anywhere. <laughs> so when you're talking about inclusive, that's what you mean, is that you have different populations that walk in the door here? Yeah. So our standard karate student is what you might imagine anybody who walks in the door who wants to learn a martial art but martial arts and self-defense are completely different and self-defense is really I structure it so that even the most at-risk disadvantaged populations and even that sounds clinical you know uh have the access to classes so self-defense classes that I teach are always free. There are people who will pay. There are people who say, you know what, I, I have resources, I have some money, here's a donation, that's great. But I teach for free because it's life and death information and people need it. So that's number one. Number two is that we recognize that there are gradations of risk. So for example, you're looking at populations like sex workers, undocumented people, people with disabilities, children, women, um, Interestingly enough, say folks who are on parole, um, who really can't afford to get into an altercation on the street and need um, tools on, on how to de-escalate and how to walk away. That's really, it's hard to do. It's hard to de-escalate something. Um, folks of transgender experience, uh, folks of lesbian, gay, non-binary, gender non-conforming experience, anybody, you know, anybody who's brown, anybody who's black, anybody, you know, there is so many, there are so many people who are at really high risk um, for, for violence. And, it kind of speaks to the idea that there's no such thing as who's a victim and who's a perpetrator. You know, a perpetrator, I believe, is one of three kinds of people. Strangers, acquaintances, or intimates. That's it. There, there really is nothing else that counts. It's not about what somebody looks like, where they're from, their gender. It's simply about somebody who is ready, willing, and able to commit uh, violence. So let's talk about, you know, the job in terms of job satisfaction. Uh. What do you like about this job? <laughs> I love this job. I love teaching self-defense. There is nothing else I would rather do. Anytime somebody comes up to me and says, I feel more empowered, I feel like I've learned something, I feel like I'm worth defending, I was a little iffy on it before, I feel like I could defend somebody else, um, I feel like I could walk away from something now where I couldn't before, I love it. It's, I don't know, for me it's the best job. So, you say you're teaching... Um Sex workers. Yes. This is something that happens regularly, right? 
sex workers are at really high risk for all kinds of violence, including sexual violence, absolutely. And there are, I want to say, gradations of risk, right? If you are an undocumented individual who's selling sex on the street and maybe who has an addiction problem, your likelihood of violence is a million times higher. And to be um, trained in self-defense to try to mitigate some of that violence, I think is really important. So do you have a curriculum that's designed for sex workers? Um, It's really important to me that students kind of lead the way and then I can illuminate, you know, those areas that are difficult. So no matter who I'm teaching, I'll say to them, step me through your day, step me through your experience. What is it that you fear? Where do you think you're at risk? You know, you do a little assessment because what might seem benign for one person seems highly charged for another. So for example, I've worked with, I cannot tell you how many street sex workers who carry hammers, right? They carry, it's a big thing, they carry hammers. And so I was teaching one day in Philadelphia and this woman was like, yo, I just, you know, da da da, I grab my bag, I take out my hammer. Okay, we're talking, we're talking. And as I'm teaching, I always, I'm walking around and she didn't know it, she had hung her bag on the back of her chair and I just slid her bag off her chair and I took it away. And then I came up and I grabbed her and she went to reach for that bag and it was gone. I stripped her of what she felt her defense would be and instead we talked about strategy. So my curriculum really is to ask people what they feel they need. And of course, look, I have a zillion strategies for a zillion different things, but I'm also really open to what I don't know. I think it was last year or two years ago, um, one of the women had had an experience. She had gotten into a car. She's a sex worker. She'd gotten into a car and a particular thing happened. And, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to do. And I came back to New York and I grabbed my, my sensei, my karate teacher, and I said, can you get in the car with me? And can we please figure this out? Because I need to go back to her and give her some real life solutions. And that's what we did. And I went back to Philly and I, we, you know, talked about what she could do. And I think that that is the respectful way to teach. I don't have all the answers. So uh, we're sitting on this bench now. Should we uh, enact this thing you and Sensei uh, talk to each other? Shall we? Yeah. This episode of Working is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. Braintree is a payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps seamless and magical, and now you can add a similar experience to your own app. Check it out for yourself. Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution and support for all payment types your customers might want. Start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo cards, and more, all with a single integration across all platforms. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com working. All right, so, okay, so we, here we are in the dojo. Right. So this is the dojo. Wait, good. This is the dojo proper. This is the training floor. And it's obviously not that large, but because some of us um, have grown up doing martial arts and our bodies are a little banged up, we have the luxury of a softer floor. We don't have a wood floor in here, which is quite nice. Um, it's hot, smells a little funky. We're over the Himalayan Yak restaurant, so. Excellent. Yeah, so we get a little bit of that Himalayan 
Chick-fil-A and Yak Funk. Um, so one of the issues that one of the um, women brought to my attention was this, she was a transgender sex worker. And so... Which makes her even more vulnerable than other sex workers, perhaps, or what? Yeah, well, what makes her... For some folks, the vulnerability increases because if they pick up a John who, who doesn't realize that they're transgender and then encounters a penis, they're not happy about it. Um, but that's not, all, you know, that's not always the case. I mean, some, some Johns, that's really what they're looking for. So for her... She sells anal sex, and so she was. He told her to turn around. They, she was in the um, passenger seat, and the passenger seat was pushed down, so it was flat. And he told her to get on her belly, and then um, charms of the seven train, right. He told her to get on her belly, and then he started choking her. And, and the specific way that he was choking her was he put his arm around both her head and the headrest. So she was being crushed from the front, crushed from the back, and of course, terrifying experience, so what do you do? And it was difficult to kind of figure it out in the moment because that, that particular question hadn't been asked of me before. So that was, I came back to New York and um, worked it out, got in the car with my sensei and, and we worked it out. And that's the kind of thing where I'm always learning and I need to be responsive to people's needs, whatever those needs are. Another example of that was m- most recently um, a woman who was probably about eight months pregnant came to one of my self-defense classes and asked me to please show her how to get out of a choke while she, if she had been thrown to the ground and being choked. And it wasn't really my place in that moment to ask her if she felt safe at home and to do a, a, you know, that sort of questioning. She came to me with a very specific request, and I needed to honor that request. And we did it. We did it. I took her to the ground on the, on the, pat, you know, on the mats, making sure that she was really safe, but I had to give her real real instruction that would work. And then later I arranged for what? So she's eight months pregnant and you're taking her to Matt. Yeah, it was, it was, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I felt a little traumatized by it. I called my sensei right afterwards and I, I told him what happened and we talked about it. And he was the one really who said, you know, you know that you did the right thing. You know that you gave her what she really needed. And then I spoke with somebody who knew her really well and could talk to her on a more personal level. Um, yeah, it was really distressing. So let's get back to what you're, you're basically, you're talking to some of these um, sex workers, you're learning what their specific scenarios and situations are, and then you have to figure out, you have to devise solutions for them. Is that right? Yeah, that's how I do it. Anybody. It's not just sex workers, honestly. I mean, you know, think about, for example, kids who are afraid to talk back to adults, I I teach so many teenagers, and last semester I was teaching at a high school, and the the police department sent a cop in to talk to these kids. I mean, I was in East New York, and they sent in this cop who had no understanding of these kids' daily, day-to-day experience, and the, the disrespect that he showed for them, and... I had to support the kids in their right to talk back to him and say, listen, with all due respect, you're telling me that when you stop me for no reason, I should hand over my phone. I should hand you my phone if you ask to see. That is, that is disrespectful and unrealistic. And so 
I work with all kinds of people trying to be mindful of their needs. You know, senior citizens, they have very different needs. You know, so whenever somebody comes to me, sex workers included, to say, this is my experience and can you help me? That's my job. So let's go through this, the motions of whatever this one particular situation is. Right. Um, let me, let's see. Yeah, we're going to be on the floor, so you can come on the floor. All right. I will try to hold this mic so it's not going to be like, you it's know. It's going to go flying. Yeah, you're going to hurt me, and aren't you? I'm going to hurt you. Okay, all right. But you get paid the big bucks for this. No, serious bucks. Yeah, am yeah. I holding this? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let's get rid of my keys so they're not flying also. All right, the wallet with all that cash oh, in it. Oh, and please don't, yeah, I can see it. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> please don't ever put your keys between your fingers as a self-defense technique to think you're going to punch somebody. All oh, you'll I do- thought that was like the, you know, the whole thing where it's like a little knife sticking out your oh, wrist or your it, fist. Yeah, no. Just either take a self-defense class or learn how to throw a punch because that's you're going to break your fingers doing that. Oh, so these are like the little things you have to unlearn. Not you, but other people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know. Like me. People like you should unlearn that. The truth of the matter is, if somebody is really that close to you, kick them. Your okay. legs are so much stronger than your arms, and yeah. I'm going to, towards the end of this conversation, I'm going to teach you every single thing you ever needed to know about physical self-defense in under 30 seconds. For free. For free. I always teach for free. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cheap date. Wait, so wait, how do you make a living off of this? Yeah, that's a good question, right? I don't make a living off the self-defense, and I'm perfectly happy with that. I teach karate, for which I am <clears throat> really fairly compensated. I love it. I love teaching karate, and I also have um, another job that I also love, but it's not my calling. And that is perfectly fine, because... I've been given self-defense, right? Somebody, lots of people gave me those skills. And I have the rare opportunity to joyfully pass that on. And that's, you know, honestly, that really is the, the reward in itself. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> All right, let's do it. Let's do this. <clears throat> so, so she is on her belly, right? Yeah. You're lying on your belly. I'm supposed to lie down next to you on my belly? No. How is that a sex act? I wasn't sure. No, I have you're no idea. you me, man. Sorry. You're okay. Do I need to, like, uh, request you permission? Put that, yes, you should always ask consent. You should probably put down that microphone. Put it right here. It'll hear us. All right. I want to make sure that it, it oh, mics okay. are... Oh, okay. holds it. Okay. okay. There you go. There you go. All right. So now you have to choke me. Do you uh, know how to... Ex- oh, my goodness. You don't know how to put on a choke hold. Oh, a choke Just hold. do that. Yeah, That's like that. Good. Right. That's good. So I'm choking you... I've got my elbow in front of your throat. That means tap out. That right. means you have to stop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's I okay. was actually choking you. Okay. You were choking it. me. So right. now remember, she's in a car, right? She's in a car seat. Okay. So she can't roll you off. She can't. No, okay. you can't. You don't have the space. I mean, she might be able to, but I think sorry. it would be. No, no. Okay. I think it would be. Difficult because, okay, so I'm imagining being in the passenger seat, right? To my left is the door. I can perhaps roll you a little bit and slam you into the door, but you're just going to put that chokehold on stronger, tighter. I could possibly roll you to the right, hopefully into like the emergency brake and maybe that'd poke you in the kidney or something, but I don't think that would be effective. And all I care about is effectiveness. I don't care about pretty. I don't care about elegant. I don't care about anything but effective. That's the only thing I care about, right? So um, is can we assume that this person, the John, wants to either severely hurt her or kill her at this moment? Is that what the assumption? I was going on a different assumption, but that is absolutely possible. I mean, I was thinking that 
for him that was part of like his sex play, but he didn't ask permission and he didn't pay for it. So it's ambiguous in her in her mind. She doesn't know what what exactly is happening. Not only does she not know what's happening, as soon as somebody puts a chokehold on you, it's terrifying. And he had all the information, she had none. He had all the power, she had none in that moment. Like her life was in his hands and she how can she possibly trust him to like figure out what that line is? He should have gotten consent and paid for it if that's what he wanted and he didn't. So I think it's fair to assume that her life was in danger. Okay, so am I still supposed to be sitting on your back right <laughs> okay, now? Okay, so yes. Okay. You do not weigh very much. Okay, so uh, go, go ahead and it's hard to do this with a microphone, but if you had that chokehold on me. Okay, so I'm holding this mic, but I'm also, okay, my other arm, I will be. Okay. Okay, so I'm choking. Exactly, so this is what it would be. So what I tell her is the first thing she has to do is create a little airway like this. Okay, so, so what I'm doing is I'm pulling your arm down and I'm getting my chin into the crook of your arm so that I can just get some breath in. Okay. Okay. And then I instruct people just start moving this very tight quarters. We're in a car. I need to just start moving. And if I can get up on my knees, which I just did because you weigh nothing. <laughs> now what I can do is slam you into something. Okay. So at this point I would slam you back into the dashboard and I would just start kicking and punching and doing everything that I could. You're just flailing and thrashing. i and thrashing and at this point if I really did that I'd sadly I'd break your ribs and your arm. <laughs> oh, look there's your arm your elbow's broken sorry oh, and your shoulder's dislocated sorry and in this situation though where it's, <laughs> if you're assuming that the guy is um, the person the John is uh, perpetrator the perp yeah, the perpetrator. <laughs> Do I sound like like an idiot saying all this stuff? No, you sound like Sipowitz. What's his name? <laughs> From one of those 15,000 shows. Of, yeah. Um, uh, that they are going to be resisting. There's no way to know what's in their head, right? Whether they're like, whoa, I'm just trying to have fun here or I'm actually trying to hurt you or some I think weird... we have to go with the assumption that somebody's trying to hurt you. A reasonable person would believe that they were about to be killed. Now, the city is a lot, statistically speaking, is a lot safer than it was, say, 20, 25 years ago when you were earlier in your career. Yeah. Does that give people... A false sense of security, the fact that, oh, New York, it's a safe city. It's not the city it used to be. I would look at it two ways. One is somebody's making up those statistics, right? Somebody's being victimized, right? I mean, does it really matter whether it's one in 10,000 or one in, I don't know, 6,000? There's that one, and that one needs to be safer, right? And the other thing is, I think... And, you know, you can fact check this, but I would guess that there have always been certain communities that have faced more violence. And so the folks who maybe are strutting around feeling safer, maybe they've always felt a little bit safer anyway. You know, maybe the communities where there is greater violence have always experienced greater violence. And, and like you said earlier, I mean, somebody who's undocumented or a sex worker we may never know whether or not they're getting beaten up or of whatever. Of course not. Right. Exactly. Have you been attacked before? I have. Uh, um, so let me share with you an experience that I don't really talk about that much. Um, I was definitely trained in some amount of self-defense, and I might have even been practicing some amount of karate at the time. And... Uh, back then they called it date rape <laughs> and this uh, I had gone out with a co-worker 
we'd gone out, I think, to the movies, and he walked me home, and he walked me into my apartment, and the the upshot of it was that he who's way, I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether or not he was bigger or stronger than me. None of that matters, right? But the upshot of it was that he strangled me with his bare hands and ripped off, like literally I was wearing like this, like this little shirt and he ripped off my shirt with his hands. And that was, I fought, I mean, it took me, I, I don't know how much time, but it took me some time to be able to kind of fight back at, because the only thing I could think of in my head was, you know, I invited him into my apartment and, you know, all of those things that were told and in it. So it's kind of like I'm ex- I was experiencing it. I was experiencing sort of the shamer, that external like shamer, like you shouldn't have let him in your apartment. And then like my internal warrior is coming out yelling at me like fight back. And it was this really disconnected experience. And so I fought back. And I, the thing I remember was him saying, to, I broke his glasses. I had broken his glasses. And, um, and then he offered me a ride to work for the next day. Yeah. Um, because he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. See, that's, that is what most people, I think, experience when you're assaulted by an acquaintance. That that person doesn't think they did anything wrong. Now, that perpetrator is completely responsible for the violence, but I understand that that person was made. You know, he, he, we, none of us raise ourselves. He was raised in a culture where he was told it's okay to take what you want. He was raised in a culture where he was taught that it was acceptable to demand sex from a woman. He is still thoroughly 100% responsible for the violence. He is not off the hook for that because there are lots and lots and lots of people who are raised in the same exact culture who would never dream of doing that, right? But I understand that somebody taught him that entitlement or some group of somebodies taught him that entitlement. But the next day, I tried to reach out for help and I called like a rape crisis hotline or victims hotline and all they could tell me was that I had to report it to the police but I knew I didn't have to report it to the police I didn't want to report it to the police I had to work with him I couldn't afford to lose my job I lived on my own I had you know I had bills to pay etc I didn't want to report him to the police I just wanted to offload some of the trauma I couldn't find I knew the resources were there that I just couldn't access them and I think that that experience coupled with some other things really informed the way that I teach and the way that I talk to people and the way that I recognize who's a victim and 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 also that perpetrators are not are not do not exist in a vacuum and what and how we teach people you know rape culture that phrase is really big right now um And I hope that there's a lot of nuanced discussion happening around that. But it is really important to talk about it. The idea that anybody would want to be violated is an insane thought. The idea that what what I might wear or what I might say might entice somebody to perpetrate 
violence is such a dehumanizing thought, both for me and for the perpetrator, right? Because that individual has a set of beliefs that they cultivated somehow. And to some degree, we all help cultivate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com and dig through our first three seasons at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by Jason DeLeon. Our senior producer is Mike Volo. And our executive producer is Andy Bowers. I'm Arun Vanagopal. See you next time on Working. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.